Hallelujah. Let's turn over to the book of Hebrews chapter four. Real quickly, I want to just say a couple of things about what I've already been teaching. Like I was saying when I started on that book, I've been teaching of living in the balance of grace and faith. And I think this is just absolutely essential. The body of Christ is basically broken into the faith camp and into the grace camp. You can get more specific than that, but usually the people who are faith people don't like the grace people and the grace people don't like the faith people. And yet the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, that you're saved by grace through faith, not one or the other. It's a combination of those two. And this is what I was teaching. If you missed last night, I encourage you to get that because it would really, really help you. And then this morning, I basically taught through Ephesians chapter one and showed how we're already blessed with all spiritual blessings. We're already accepted. We already are redeemed in the spirit. We already have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We already have wisdom. And all we need is for this wisdom to come out and for us just to have the eyes of our understanding enlightened so that we could see what God has already done for us. That's huge. And the body of Christ as a whole believes God can do anything, but they don't believe that he has done anything. And they're asking God to do these things instead of understanding that he's already done it. I also gave two definitions that I just want to repeat quickly, but faith is not what we do to get God to move, but faith is our positive response to what God has already done through grace. That's huge. That's a big deal. And then a second definition is faith only appropriates what God has already provided. If God hasn't provided, then your faith can't make it happen. Faith doesn't make God do something. Faith is just reaching out and taking what God has already done. And that takes the struggle out of the Christian life. And the good news is it's not out there someplace that we go to get it. But as I was teaching this morning, we've already got it on the inside of us. You've already got the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in you and you don't have to go get something. It's a matter of releasing what you have instead of getting God to do something. These scriptures here in Hebrews chapter four is teaching this and it uses a word picture that I wanna use tonight. In Hebrews chapter four, verse one, I wish I had time to put all of this in context, but the book of Hebrews is talking about how that the new covenant is infinitely superior to the old covenant. Tomorrow, I'll probably teach a lot out of Hebrews chapter nine and chapter 10 and try and make these points. But this is the whole point of the book of Hebrews is to show you that there's a difference. In the old covenant, Jesus hadn't come yet and things weren't done yet. And so they were done differently. We are living on the other side of the cross. We aren't looking towards what God is gonna do, but we are now over here looking back at what Jesus has already done for us. What a difference. We aren't trying to get to victory. We are coming from a victory. We are more than conquerors. The battle's already been won and all we've got to do is partake of the spoils. Man, those are big statements. And so anyway, he's already set the ground for this. He's talked about these things in the first few chapters. And here in chapter four, verse one, he says, let us Therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto you was the gospel preached as well as unto them, talking about the uh, children of Israel that came out of the land of Egypt, 
But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. I'm going to go into more depth, but let me just say this, that this illustrates what I've already talked about. I said that God by grace has already moved and provided everything. We aren't waiting on God to do something. God's done his part, but there's a part that we have to play. You have to put faith in what God has done. And if all you do is emphasize grace, well, then this leads to lasciviousness. It leads to laziness. It leads to people not doing anything because after all, it's just up to God. Whatever will be, it leads to this universal teaching that everybody's saved and uh, just all kinds of weird things. But on the other side, if all you do is emphasize faith, you do this, you do this, it leads to people just taking all of the burden of salvation upon themselves and trying to produce everything in their own effort. And that'll kill you. You need a balance between these. You need to understand that God has provided everything. But like this says, the word preached unto them didn't profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith. There's a part that God does, that's grace. There's a part that we do, that's faith. And you've got to mix these two things together in order to get the right results. And that's what he said. They didn't enter into the promised land because God by grace provided everything. He brought them out of the mightiest nation on the face of the earth without firing a shot. Amen. He did it supernaturally by the power of God. It was one of the most awesome displays of God's power the world's ever seen. That was grace. They didn't deserve it. It was grace. But you know what? They had to cooperate with it. And when they quit cooperating and when God said, go in and they said, no, we won't go in. There's giants in the land. We can't do it. Their unbelief stopped God's will from coming to pass in their life. An entire generation died unfulfilled. And see, there is a balance. You can't just sit here and say, well, we've got to go in and we've got to defeat all of the giants in our own strength. You can't do it. You have to have God's power. But at the same time, God, you could say it this way, God will not, but you could say God cannot do it without you. Not because he doesn't have the power, but he's just chosen that it's according to the power that works in us. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. And so you have to take God's provision. God's the one that brought them out. God's the one who ordained that they would possess this promised land. It was God's grace. It wasn't based on their goodness. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter seven and chapter eight, he even says this. Don't think that it's because you were the best of all of the people. You were the fewest in number. It wasn't because of your goodness. It was grace that God decided to do this and he gave them all of the promises. But did that mean that God's grace just automatically produces victory? No, there's a part that we have to play. We have to respond. But if you ever get to where you think that your faith is making God do something, then it's no longer faith. It's legalism. Your faith isn't making God do something. Your faith is just receiving what God has already provided by grace. And he goes on and he draws a picture of that right here in this fourth chapter. This is really powerful. In verse three, he says, for we which have believed do enter into rest. I'm going to read all of these verses, but let me just say that I know that many of you are going to have a disconnect. The King James here is very wordy and I don't have the other translations with me, but you could go study this out and I'll summarize it. So, but don't disconnect. Don't quit listening just because 
this doesn't uh, ring your bell at the moment. Okay, I'm going to summarize it. And I believe that this will really bless you. In verse three, it says, for we which have believed do enter into rest as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. What he's talking about here is over in Psalms chapter 95, verse 11. This is a quotation from that verse. And David is the one that wrote that. And David wrote this over 400 years after the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt. And so what he's doing is saying that when God promised a rest to his people, it wasn't fulfilled when the Israelites entered into Canaan under Joshua's leadership. Because 400 years later, David was quoting this and saying, if my people will enter into my rest. So it it wasn't fulfilled in the natural. This was talking about a spiritual rest that is available unto us. And that's the reason he quotes that Old Testament scripture in verse four, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise and God did rest the seventh day from all of his works. That's a quotation from Genesis chapter two, verse two. And now he begins to start trying to amplify and expound on what this rest is by using the Sabbath to picture what this rest is. And in verse um, five, it says in this place again, and in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein and they to whom it was first preached, not entered, not in because of unbelief. Again, he limited a certain day saying in David today, after so long a time, as it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Uh, for if Jesus had given them rest and this word, Jesus is the exact same word as Joshua. One is Greek and the other is Hebrew. The new Testament was written in Greek. So he's actually talking about Joshua here, not our Lord Jesus. He says that if Jesus had given them rest, if this would have been fulfilled when Joshua led the people into the promised land, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day? 400 years later, he wouldn't have led David to write about there still being a rest for the people. So it wasn't fulfilled when they entered into the promised land. He's just saying all of this in kind of a wordy way. The King James puts it that way to say that this goes beyond the fulfillment of the Israelites entering into the promised land. And then it says uh, in verse eight for it, or excuse me, I just read that for if Jesus had given them rest, then would it not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. He said all of this to say that, you know what? There is still a rest for the people of God. This is for us in this day. There is a relationship that you can enter into where you have ceased from your own labors. That's what the next verse says. It says in verse 10, for he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Referring back to the creation. He's referring back to this Sabbath rest. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man uh, fail after the same example of unbelief. So he's saying that there is a rest. He's talking about a relationship where you can enter into a place where you quit trusting in yourself and in your own efforts. It's not your power that is producing things. It's God. It's his grace. And you do things just like I've been teaching 
You've got to have grace plus faith. You have to have a positive response to what God has already provided by grace. You have to reach out and appropriate it. Yes, we do things, but it is not our doing that makes it happen. God has already provided it by grace and all you're doing out is just reaching out and saying thank you and taking it. But when you really enter into this relationship, you will cease from your own works. That doesn't mean you quit studying the word and praying and doing what's right, but you quit trusting in your goodness. You never approach God and say, God, I've done this and this and this, and now you must move. Most of you wouldn't say it that way, but you know what? There's a lot of people that that's the way that they relate to God. I've had this in my prayer lines. I've mentioned this already, but people come up and I fast, I pray, I go to church, I pay my tithes. Why hadn't God done this? Because you think God is supposed to respond to you and your goodness. You haven't entered into the rest of the Lord. You haven't entered into this place to where you now do things, but you do it from victory, not trying to get victory. You do it as a byproduct of relationship with the Lord, not trying to get relationship with the Lord. Your actions aren't what pleases God. They are a reaction to the fact that God is pleased with you because of Jesus and you just accept it by faith. And now you live wholly as a byproduct of relationship with God, not the way to relationship with God. So that's what he's talking about. And here's what I want to focus on tonight. He used the Sabbath to illustrate this. He mentioned the Sabbath two or three times in this passage to illustrate a rest for the people of God. And it says, he that is entered in to his rest, he hath also ceased from his own works as God did from his. So I want to look at the Sabbath and show you what happened here and what he's talking about. And I think that this will help illustrate it and show you the balance between God's grace and then your positive response. And this will really help you. Look over in Genesis chapter two, or actually, let me just refer to some things in chapter one, and then we'll get to chapter two where he took this rest. But if you're familiar with the creation, God spoke everything into existence. I think there's nearly a dozen times in this first chapter that it says, God said, like in verse three, and God said, let there be light. In verse six, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. In verse nine, and God said, let the waters be under the heaven, be gathered together into one place. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass. Verse 14, and God said, on and on. So he created everything by his words. He spoke everything into existence. And again, many times we read scriptures and especially, you know, when you study the King James, uh, it's just wordy sometimes. And I personally think it's very accurate. I love the King James translation. I'm not criticizing it, but I'm saying it's not the way that we talk. And sometimes we just read over it and don't get the full impact of what he's saying. But the way the Lord created things is very, very important. He didn't waste words. God doesn't waste words. There's a reason that he says what he says. Let me just take a couple of examples. Look when he created the grass and the trees in verse 11. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. Why didn't God just say, let there be trees? Let there be grass. Let there be animals. 
He created everything by his words. And if he would have just created these first elements, then when they died, he would have had to have recreated trees and grass. But the way he did it, notice it says, and God said, uh, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself after its kind. What is all that about? The Lord not only created the original things, but he created in everything on this planet that has life. He gave it the ability to procreate, to recreate. And so when the Lord created the original grass and the trees and the animals and all of these things, he has never had to create another thing. He created it perfectly. And he put within creation the ability to sustain all life that he has produced on this earth. Let me just give a little parenthetical phrase. I'm going to make my little political statement and I'll come back for those of you who don't like this. So don't leave. But this is one of the reasons I really disagree with this whole fragile earth and that mankind is destroying the earth and stuff like this is because God anticipated everything that the human race would ever need. Did you know when Adam and Eve were created, there was enough air on this planet to sustain over 7 billion people. That's how many people we have now. And the Lord has never had to create another atom of oxygen. And he has created it. I actually saw a thing on the internet that there's a stand of trees in, I think it's the Netherlands. You remember David? I think it was Iceland. But anyway, it's, there, there's one stand of trees in some place that they said could cycle, purify the entire earth's oxygen from all pollutants. One stand of trees on the planet. And when you add to that, did you know that I've got a friend in the National Forest Service and there is now over two times, nearly two and a half times as many trees in the United States now as when the pilgrims landed on this place. God, the earth isn't fragile. Now I'm not saying that we abuse it. I think we ought to keep our yards nice and mow the lawn and it look good. And I'm not talking about just trashing the place here. You know, that says something. But I'm saying that the earth isn't fragile and we aren't destroying it with our carbon dioxide. I just, Jamie and I took a trip, uh, one of these uh, cruises and we went on the inside passage in in Alaska. And did you know that uh, the uh, uh, ice, what do you call those? Glaciers? Those glaciers at one time uh, were much, much further back than they are now. The glaciers have actually increased in the last 20 years in Alaska. Now you'll hear about the ice pack that's melting in the Antarctic. And I don't know enough to say that it's not happening, but I, I've been places to tell you that it, it, it is, uh, more, it's uh, cooler than it's been during the last hundred years. It used to be much worse. And the, and the earth goes through cycles I even saw a guy who said that it's, I don't remember how he related it, but every time that the, uh, the uh, temperature increases, well, then that produces more uh, humidity, more rainfall, which cools it off. And it's like the earth has a built-in cycle that it, it, it fluctuates, it goes in cycles, but it's not out of balance. In the 90s, they, they related all of the uh, rise in temperature that got Al Gore started. <laughs> 
by, uh, it, they related it to sun uh, activity. There were solar flares that caused this on the earth. Let me ask you what our carbon monoxide releases or whatever have done to affect the sun. Things just go in cycles and the earth. The point I'm making is that the Lord anticipated every need of mankind. He produced all of the air that we need. There are, there is not a shortage of resources. Now I, it could be possible that someday we could out, uh, produce our, you know, the fossil fuels, but I've already seen a car that runs off of water and it's been driven over a hundred thousand miles with nothing but water. They're in the process of doing other things. There's other technologies, but my point is that see people who believe that this is so fragile, they don't understand that God created this earth and he anticipated every need of the human race. If, if we live to where there's four, uh, 14 billion people on the earth, God's already sustained it. We aren't going to outgrow him. He anticipated everybody's needs. For instance, all right, that's the end of that. So now back to the scripture. For instance, Adam and Eve, when he created Adam and Eve, he didn't create them on the first day of creation. I believe that mankind is God's crowning jewel. He gave us authority over this earth. I believe that we were the focus of everything else. And so I believe that we are the most important. We're more important than any animal. There was another little political statement, but that was a small one. Amen. I believe we're God's crowning jewel. So why didn't he create us first? You know, if he would have created man on the first day of creation, he'd have had to tread water for two days before there was land to stand on. (laughs) There wasn't light yet. He would have frozen to death if God hadn't created the light first. And then he divided the waters that were above the firmament from the water under the firmament. And he created this atmosphere that surrounds the earth that protects us from meteorites and harmful rays and holes in Uh, all of the oxygen. So he created all of those things. Then he made the dry land appear on the third day. On the fourth day, he began to create all of the trees and all of these things. If mankind was already in existence, here'd be trees popping up and plants popping up and animals showing up. And man, he would have been in the way. It would have been dangerous. (laughs) The Lord didn't create us first, not because we weren't the most important, but because he prepared everything that we would ever need. Did you know when the Lord created the trees and stuff, people say, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, the seed or the plant that produces the seed? If you study scripture, God created everything full grown. He didn't create fruit trees from seeds and let them grow up for seven years. He created them full grown. The fruit was already on the tree and the seed was in the fruit. So the scripture answers this question. He created the chicken first and then the chicken had the egg. Amen. That's what the scripture says. And the importance of this is that man, when he was created, he didn't have to say, well, what am I going to eat? I got to go get something to eat. I got to start planting my crops. I got to go out and work. I got to do something. No, God had created everything. 
He had created all of the animals. He had created the atmosphere. The atmosphere, the temperature was perfect. Everything was perfect. God anticipated every need that the world will ever have. And that's why I disagree with people who think that we're upsetting and overturning God's plan because they are humanists that do not believe God anticipated and saw all of the junk that mankind would ever do. God has set it up so that I guarantee you, regardless of what you do to mess it up, this earth can keep on going. It is not going to be destroyed by the ozone layer. It's going to be destroyed when he gets ready to send fire and destroy the earth in a ball of heat. And it'll happen when he's ready and not before. Amen. And so if you're familiar with the way that the Jews counted time, they went from the evening of one day, sundown one day to sundown the next day. And that's the reason that every one of these scriptures says the evening and the morning were the first day. They counted time from sunset to sunset, not like we do from midnight to midnight. So when God created man, it was after sunset on the sixth day. And I I don't know this for sure, but I just assume it was probably in daylight on the sixth day. He first of all created all of the land animals on that sixth day. And even though I believe God did it miraculously, it probably took some period of time. And then man was the very last thing God created. So this means that when man was created, it was towards the end of the sixth day. And then immediately, I mean, just nearly after Adam was created, the sun set and the Sabbath started. And this is what it refers to in chapter two. Over there, it says in verse one, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended the work which he had made. And he rested the seventh day from all of his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and God sanctified it because that in it, he had rested from all the work which God had created and made. So God prepared everything. He anticipated every need that Adam and Eve would ever have. There was nothing that they needed that wasn't here. Did you know that all of the gold that we use in the earth today was already here? God anticipated it. It's already here. All of the things that we need, all of the air, all of the resources, all of the food, everything everything. I read a report not long ago that you could take the 7 billion people on this planet and put them all inside the United States and give everybody half an acre. I know many of you think that's impossible, but I sat down one time and figured it out and you can do it. The earth is huge. God has created everything. We are not going to deplete this earth. God anticipated everything and he did it so perfectly that he didn't have to get up this morning and say, let there be a million new cows to replace the ones that died yesterday. Let there be a million new trees. If you have a forest fire, he doesn't have to say, let there be new trees because he's built it. You know, we had a forest fire out where we are. And the moment that a forest fire hits, everything just comes alive in the forest. Things start growing. When Mount St. Helens erupted, did you know that they said it was going to take 10,000 years for it to even, it'll look like a moonscape for 10,000 years. I think it was within 10 years, the scientists basically threw away all their stuff and they said they were shocked. They were amazed. It regenerated so much quicker than anybody thought. God has set things up. So he anticipated anything that man could ever do. And God has made this world so it will sustain life here until he's through with it. 
It is not a fragile planet. It was created by God. And my point is that when man came along, he didn't have to think, well, how am I going to feed him? And he had to do something to feed him. He didn't have to think, oh man, I wonder if they're going to be getting cold at night. I wonder, God anticipated everything. The temperature was perfect. The food was provided. Adam and Eve didn't have to go plant the food. They didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to worry. They didn't have to pray. They didn't say, oh God, please feed me today. Did you know that the Lord had millions and millions and millions and millions of fruit trees on this planet, enough to feed all of the billions of people today. They were all here with Adam and Eve. He provided an overabundance and his people didn't have a single want. And the moment he created them, he rested is what it says. Not because he was tired. It says in Isaiah chapter, I think it's chapter 40, verse 20, somewhere around there, something like that. It says, have you not heard that the Lord faints not? He's not weary. It says he doesn't slumber nor sleep. God doesn't get tired. He wasn't worn out and saying, if I create one more star, I might pass out. I have, I've reached my limit. I'm worn out. I got to rest. The Lord didn't rest in that sense. He rested in the sense that an artist works on this and he works and works and works and paints a picture. And finally he looks at it and he says, it's perfect. If I add one more brush stroke to it, I'm going to ruin it. And so he puts his brush down and rest. Not because that brush was so heavy. He just couldn't hold it anymore. It was because it was complete. It was done. It's like a lawyer when he says, I rest my case. There's nothing else to say. I mean, I've said it all. And so I rest my case. That doesn't mean that the lawyer was tired. When God rested, what it means is he had done it so perfectly. He had anticipated every need that he didn't have to do a thing. His part was complete. Grace had already provided everything that a person could need. And now Adam and Eve didn't have to pray and ask God to supply something, to do something. Oh God, move. Oh God, answer my prayer. God anticipated their needs and he said, just reach out and take it. Now, did that mean that they had nothing to do? No, if they would have just stood by a banana tree and said, God, feed me. He provided it. He grew it. It was good, but they had to reach out and take it. They had to peel it. They had to put it in their mouth. They had to chew it in order to get the benefit, but God provided it. He anticipated it was already there, but they had a part. See, this is the balance between grace. That's what God does and faith. You can get to where it's just all up to God and I'm just waiting on God. I heard a story one time, probably most of you have heard this about a person who drowned and they were on top of their house and they were praying and believing God for, you know, somebody, for, for them to be saved. And they were rebuking the water. And so somebody came by in a boat and said, here, jump in and I'll help you. And he says, no, I'm fine. I'm believing God. He wouldn't receive it. So somebody else came by and the water was getting higher. No, I'm fine. Anyway, this happened two or three times. Finally, the person drowns. And when they get to heaven, they say, God, I was believing you for deliverance. Why didn't you save me? And he said, I sent three boats and a helicopter for you, (laughs) man. But see, they wouldn't do anything. They just wanted God to supernaturally make all of the problems go away. 
No, God provided everything for Adam, but they had to reach out and take it. But see, if they would have thought, all right, I'm making this happen. I am the one who's doing that. That would have been arrogance on their part. They didn't create those trees. They didn't create the fruit. They didn't create the atmosphere. They didn't create the earth. God did all of this for them, but they had to reach out and partake of it. And so in that sense, God rested. And if they would have been fasting and praying and saying, oh God, move in my life. God wouldn't have done anything outside of what he already did. He rested. And brothers and sisters, he has never created anything since. Did you know in this sense, God does not create us individually. Now the scripture talks about in Psalms 139 that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And I believe that we are God's creation. I'm not saying that we are just happenstance. But God created the original man and woman and gave them the ability to procreate. And you are here not because of God's grace alone. Everybody get what I'm saying? I pray with couples and I remember praying. I've prayed with lots of couples that they would be able to have children. And I say, in the name of Jesus, I believe you're healed. You're going to have a child. And then I'll tell them now, (laughs) it's not going to be a virgin birth. You got a part to play in this. You do your part and God will do his part. Amen. Everybody follow that? (laughs) If you're here with your parents, you can ask them later what's going on. Amen. But you've got a part to play in this process. And See, God isn't creating people as such. He created us and he blessed us right here in Genesis chapter one. It says, be fruitful and multiply. Those words gave us the ability to procreate. And God has not created people since. He hasn't created animals since. He hadn't created fruit since. He hadn't created trees or grass since. God created everything and he rested. It's over. His part's over. And you know what? If an animal goes extinct, he's not going to recreate another one. He's resting. Creation's over. Man, that is powerful. And what this is talking about, going back to Hebrews chapter four, there remains a rest to the people of God. And he that has entered into his rest has ceased from his own labors as God did from his. See, most people have the concept that when we have a need, God responds to our need. And you say, oh God, please supply this money. Please move in my life. And then God runs over here to answer your need. I'm telling you that just like he did in creation, God has already commanded a blessing on you. You are already blessed by God. Whatever you set your hand unto is blessed. You're going to prosper. You're already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God has already through Jesus anticipated everything that you will ever need. Your, your physical healing, your finances, your joy, your peace, Galatians 5, 22 and 20, 23, and your spirit, you already have love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. You've already got this. And yet how many Christians are saying, oh God, just give me joy. God's already done his part. He's not going to create it. He's not going to do something. God has already placed on the inside of you and you're born again, spirit joy. And now it's up to you to reach out and take it and unwrap it and eat it. God has already done his part. Now, are you going to reach out by faith and receive it? Or are you going to keep asking God to create joy and do something for you? 
The Lord, through Jesus, anticipated every sickness that the human race would ever experience. And he put it on the body of Jesus when he hung on the cross. And he's healed all sickness and all disease. There is nothing that could ever happen to you that God hasn't already seen. And he's already made the provision. Before you had the need, God already created the supply. Before there were 7 billion people to breathe air, he had already created all of the oxygen for 7 billion people. Before there was ever the need for fossil fuels, he already created all of that stuff. It was already done. God anticipated everything that the world will ever need and it was already done. Likewise, in Christ, he's anticipated everything that you will ever need and by grace, he's already provided it. And now you have to rest and say, I am not gonna take the burden of this upon myself. It is not up to me to twist God's arm and make God move. It is not up to me to force God to move and heal this person, to prosper me. God has already anticipated. There's a way. God's got a perfect plan for me to prosper. And so you just rest and say, Father, what is my part? What do you want me to do? You know, I I think I used this example with the Bible college on Wednesday. So hopefully this isn't a repeat. But you know, when we got the building that we're in right now, we needed a $3.2 million renovation in order to get that done. Long story, but the Lord spoke to me and told me I was supposed to do it debt-free. And at that time, at the rate money was coming in, at that time, that was back in 2003, 2002 and 2003. And at the rate that money was coming in, I figured out it would have taken me a hundred years to pay for that at the rate money had been coming in. And yet the Lord told me to do it debt-free. And so I decided I would do it. And I made a commitment. And I said, if they offer me all the money I need tomorrow, I won't take it. Sure enough, the day after we made that decision, one of the banks called back and said, I'll give you $4 million. I said, you're too late. (laughs) And I committed myself to that. And anyway, we needed money. We needed $3.2 million cash and our school was growing and it was going to be choked to where it wouldn't grow. And you know, anyway, I needed to do something, but you know what? I'm not saying that I'm perfect in this, but I'm saying that I understand this principle. And I remember just sitting and waiting and saying, Father, I know I'm going to have to do something. I've got to reach out and take it but I don't want to just do it of myself. What do you want me to do? And for about three or four months, I just sat. I didn't tell any of my partners. I didn't make an appeal. I didn't do anything. Some of my staff was saying, you know what? We need to do something. You need to communicate. And I said, I know it, but I've got to wait on God to show me. And anyway, I just waited until God told me what to do. I did something, but it wasn't me doing something to make God move. It was God. I know you've provided it. Where's my provision? What do you want me to do? And I waited until the Lord spoke to me. I wrote, and in 14 months, I think it was, we brought in $3.2 million above our normal operating expense. And that was when we had just increased our television bill about $500,000 a month. We had nearly doubled our expenses And on top of that, we got $3.2 million because I was able to rest. And I did something, but I didn't do it trusting what I was doing. I was waiting on God to speak to me. Does everybody see the difference? There's a huge difference. And this is what God did. He just rested. He was through. That was it. Now, you take advantage of what I've already created. Don't come to me and beg me to supply whatever you need. It's there. 
If they'd have come and said, but man, we need clothes. After they sinned, he killed an animal and used skin. Clothes were there. Well, we need this. It was all there. Everything was there. Did you know that the laws that govern electricity were created when God created the heavens and the earth? Mankind could have used, Adam and Eve could have been using electricity. God didn't create electricity back in the 1800s. He created electricity in the beginning. And we're just now discovering these things. Did you know cell phone technology and the ability to broadcast things through the air and see television? What a miracle. I mean, it's not a miracle, but it looks like a miracle that you can look at this box and see things on the other side of the world. It looks like, how could this happen? Did you know that the technology, all of the things that make this work, nobody created television. They just tapped into the laws that were already here. There's other laws that we don't know of today. And someday if the Lord tarries, we'll look back and we'll look at this generation and think, man, they were so primitive. (laughs) And did you know that when they discover something new, they didn't make it happen. All they did was do it. You know, when you make iron and when you make uh, steel and stuff, all of the elements were there. The laws that you put into place to make that happen. God created all of these laws. Everything was anticipated. There is nothing that we can ever do that he hasn't anticipated. Likewise, in Christ, there's nothing that you will ever need that wasn't anticipated. And it's already been meant through Jesus and God has rested now. And it's not our time to beg him to do something. We have to just enter into his rest and say, Father, I know you've got it. Like with this building, I've got to have $20 million. And you know what? I have, you can ask my staff. I've told them from the beginning, this is going to be a piece of cake. It's going to work. And we now have over $12 million cash towards it at the rate money is coming in. If people fulfill their pledges and and go through things, you know what? We're going to have it and it's all going to work. Amen. Amen. Some of you aren't as sure of that as I am, but (laughs) it'll work. God's already provided. And all I got to do is stay in peace and stay in rest and not get into myself to where I've got to do something. I got to make this happen. As long as I let rest. And you know what? It's like the scripture says in Hebrews chapter four, you have to labor to rest. Resting is hard. It's a lot easier to get in and think, man, I've got to do something. I'm going to meet with some people. I'm going to go see if I can leverage this, if I can hawk this, if I can manipulate this, if I can, you know, it's a lot easier to get into yourself and try and do it. But to sit there and say, father, this is your problem. You, I'm doing this at your will. There's a way to get it done. You've already got it figured out. I'm not going to stay awake over this. It's your business. And I know I'll need to do something, but you just show me what do I need to do and praise God, I'll get it done. That's the rest that we have. Look over in Colossians chapter two. And I want to show you this about the Sabbath. Colossians chapter two, I wish I had time to put this whole chapter into context. It's powerful. But in Colossians chapter two, verse 16, It says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. The Sabbath, along with these other four things, all five of these things listed were shadows of New Testament realities. 
You know what a shadow is? A shadow is not the real thing, but it is something that is cast by the real thing. If you could imagine that this was a building right here, this is the corner of a building. And if it was taller than my head, and if you were on that side of the building, and if I was on this side of the building, and if there was a light behind me, you could see my shadow over here. And if you couldn't see me, then that shadow could give you information about me. It could tell you whether I'm standing still, whether I'm walking towards the corner, whether I'm going the other direction, whether I'm carrying a club, whether I'm running, whether I'm standing up or crouched down. You could look at my shadow and my shadow would provide you lots of information about me if you can't see me. But if I walk around the building and I'm now in plain sight, we would think you're absolutely crazy if you run up and hug my shadow or if you reach out your hand to shake my shadow. At one time, my shadow is very important if you can't see me. But now that I'm here, why would you talk to my shadow? Why would you hug my shadow? Did you know that these things were shadows? But the body is of Christ is what it says. Now in the new Testament, every one of these things has been fulfilled and we have the new Testament reality and we don't observe the shadow. Did you know that people understand that about the first four things? It says, don't let any man judge you in what you eat. Most people only know about like pork and stuff like that. But did you know that the Old Testament law didn't allow you to eat any shellfish? Anything like oysters, uh, shrimp, crab, you couldn't eat. It was forbidden. Pork was forbidden and all those kind of things. And there's people today that still preach that you've got to observe these things. They say that those were given for health reasons. And anyway, I'm not going to spend my whole time on this, but the scripture says right here, this is the only time it comments on why this was given. And it says it was a shadow. It was to show you something, picture something that was real in the New Testament. I don't believe that the Lord picked pork because it was subject to trichinosis. He he could have picked beef. He could have picked anything. He just said that you need to uh, honor the Lord. I think it's first Corinthians chapter 10. I forget the exact verse, but whatsoever you eat or drink, do all to the glory of the Lord. We are supposed to be committed unto God and glorify God in our bodies. Amen. I'm not against anybody. I'm not criticizing you, but I'm telling you being overweight, being obese is not honoring God. You aren't taking care of your body. We've got commands to do that. And I think that that's what the old Testament dietary laws were symbolic of. He gave us restrictions. We couldn't understand things. We spirit, people weren't spiritual. First Corinthians two fourteen: the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. So he had to do things in pictures and in types. And he gave us certain laws that you couldn't eat certain things. Did you know most people in here don't observe that? Most of you eat shrimp and crab, and oysters and pork. I think pork's the best food around. I love it. <laughs> I know some of you think, no, you aren't supposed to do that. You got to eat twigs and berries and stuff. That's not food. That's what food eats. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So anyway, most people say, well, we're free from that. Over in first Timothy chapter four, it says in the last days, people would depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils 
having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And part of what they would do is command to abstain from meats. You've got Christians today preaching that you can't eat these things because they were forbidden in the Old Testament law. And it says that, but it was a shadow. And now we've got the body and we are free from that. And it's a doctrine of the devil. If somebody tells you, you can't eat certain things. Now it may be wisdom not to eat certain things, but it's a doctrine of the devil to forbid you to eat it. Amen. So anyway, that's the first thing. Then the second thing it says, don't let anybody judge in what you drink. Most people don't even know that there were dietary restrictions on what you drank in the Old Testament. If you don't know what they were, apparently you don't believe you have to do those. (laughs) And then in verse uh, 16, it says, or in respect of a holy day. Did you know that you were supposed to observe the Passover? If you didn't observe the Passover, you were unclean and you could be put out of the camp. You were supposed to observe the Passover forever. I can show you a number of scriptures. It says forever. How many of you you observed the Passover last Passover? There's one hand I saw, maybe a few more. There's nothing wrong with observing it. If you want to remind yourself, but you know what? We don't observe that today. We now have communion, which was part of the Passover, but it now is symbolic of what Jesus did for it. We call it communion and we observe that and stuff. But most people don't understand. They understand that you aren't in bondage. You aren't going to go to hell or be judged by God. If you don't keep the Passover or the feast of tabernacles or the day of atonement, those things have already been fulfilled. So the first three things, those things are already over. And then the next thing it says, or of the new moon. Did you know you had to offer a blood sacrifice every new moon? How many of you offered a blood sacrifice last new moon? (laughs) If you did, it's an offense against God because Jesus is a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. You don't need to do that. Most of us don't even know when the last new moon was. So here's five things listed. Four of them, the body of Christ is basically in agreement that we aren't under these things. It's now been fulfilled in Christ and we don't live under that. But here is the fifth thing, the Sabbath And we've got entire denominations built around this and they will kill you in the name of the Lord over fighting over the Sabbath. If you're going to believe that four of these five things have been fulfilled, then to be consistent, you're going to have to say that the Sabbath was a picture of something. What was it a picture of? It was a picture of rest. God did everything. He's anticipated everything. He rested, not because he was tired, but because it was done. And in the New Testament, we now have Jesus who anticipated everything you will ever need. He's resting. He's seated at the Father's right hand. He's not up there interceding. Well, he is interceding is what the scripture says, but it's, it's just, you know, what has already been done. Father, it's already done. Remember this. He's not up there having to turn God from his wrath and reapply the blood and do all of the things that the body of Christ uh, attributes to him. He's seated at the father's right hand. Look at this passage over in Leviticus chapter 25. I am drawn to a close eventually. But in Leviticus chapter 25, it talks about the Sabbath and it says in verse one, and the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when you come into the land, which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years shalt thou sow thy field and six years shalt thou prune thy vineyard and gather the fruit, uh, fruit thereof. But in the seventh year, 
shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy land nor prune thy vineyard. He goes on and talks about how that you let the animals eat it. You let the poor come in and eat it, but you can't eat of your field, anything that grows in the seventh year, you had to let it go. So here's the Lord. You got to remember that today we have, we have this tradition. All of us grew up with the Sabbath or the, you know, Sunday, taking Sunday off. And so it's something that's a part of our culture and we don't realize how radical this was. But in the days of Israel, people were working their fingers to the bone seven days a week. And they were working and just barely grubbing out a living. They didn't have grocery stores to go to. They didn't have freezers and, and things like this to keep their food in. They had to raise their food and, and, and it took a lot of work. And they were working seven days a week, sun up to sundown. Here comes God's people and takes one day out of seven off. Did you know in the natural, that looks like you're going to start. You cannot prosper as much as the person who's working more. But the truth is they actually prospered more than the other people because they were doing it in obedience to God. And what the Sabbath was a picture of is that I'm working, I'm doing things, but it's not my work that is causing this prosperity. It's God's blessing on me. And to prove it, they took one day out of seven off. It's a very good comparison between giving You know, you go out and work a job and you do all of this. And if you aren't careful, you'll think this is my money. I earned it. God didn't give this money to me. But God's the one who caused you to be born in this nation at a prosperous time that gave you freedom and opportunity. He's the one that gave you your talents and ability. All God's got to do is stir the chemicals in your brain a little bit and you'd be dripping drool off of your chin. (laughs) Whether you know it or not, God's the one that gave you everything. And so God is your source. How is it that you understand and keep God as your source? It's real simple. He says, give me 10%. Not because God needs it. God wants you to trust him and recognize him as your source. So how do you do it? It's one thing to say, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus is my source. It's easy to say it, but you know what? You need to act on it. Faith without works is dead. So he says, give me 10%. And when a person gives 10%, that is the stupidest thing you could do unless there is a God who promised that when you give, it would be given back unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. If God didn't fulfill his word, then it's crazy. If this is your goal over there, and if you, if you aren't there yet, well, then to take a portion of what you've got and give it away moves you away from your goal, not towards it. In the natural, this doesn't make sense. But in the kingdom of God, when you give, it's given back unto you. It says that God is looking for sowers and he will give seed to sowers. So the truth is when you give, you're actually advancing towards prosperity. You aren't moving away from it. And it's a statement of your faith. The reason he told people to take one day out of seven off was so that they could recognize that even though I'm sowing these fields, I'm digging these rocks out, I'm working by the sweat of my brow. God is my source and I'm not just saying it, I'm proving it. I'll take one day out of seven off. And in case anybody missed that, here in Leviticus chapter 25, he says, take one year out of seven off. If some people thought, well, the land of Israel is just more prosperous than others. It's a coincidence. It's not God. They couldn't miss this one. 
You take one year out of seven off and look over here in Leviticus chapter 25 and in verse 20, it says, and if ye shall say, what shall we eat the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow, neither gather in our increase. Then will I command my blessing upon you in the sixth year and it shall bring forth uh, fruit for three years. So when the people obeyed God on the sixth year, God would give them three times a normal crop that would carry them through the sixth year, through the seventh year when they were taking off, and then through the eighth year while they were sowing their crops. And he would just like clockwork, give them three times a normal harvest. You know why he did all of this? Because he wanted them to recognize it's, yeah, you're doing something, that's faith, but it is not your faith. It is not your effort that makes it work. God is your source. Your faith is just a positive response to him. Your effort is only bearing this fruit because of God's blessing that has already been placed on you. It's this same balance of grace and faith. And that's what the Sabbath was a picture of. It was a shadow, a type of resting in the Lord. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there is a rest for every one of us in here that you can reach a place to where Jesus you anticipated every sickness I'd ever have, every hurt that I would ever have, every need that I would ever have, every opportunity that I'd ever have, anything. You've anticipated everything and I know that you've already provided it. And rather than me get and take the burden of this on myself and feel like I've got to work my fingers to the bone, there are some of you that work two and three jobs and you maybe go through a period of time where you have to do some things like that, you know, for some reason, but there's a lot of people today that do it because they don't trust God. They feel they've got to make things work. And you know what? God can bless you without having to put in a hundred hours a week working. You could, you could honor God and, and give more time to your family and do some things. I'm not talking about being lazy, but just putting priorities that you're going to put God and your family and other things first. And you could do that and you would prosper more than you've ever prospered working three jobs. The Lord wants us to rest in him. And instead of I'm going to grab hold of the horns of the altar and shake it until God comes out. You need to understand that God has already come out through Jesus. He's already provided everything. The Lord has supplied everything you will ever need. And now it's just a matter of you laboring to rest. And I tell you, the hardest thing you will ever do is sit there when your brain is screaming and say, do something. You're going to die, you idiot. <laughs> Amen. Do something, get up and do something. Even if it's nothing, <laughs> even if it's wrong, do something, you know, your body to rest and just be at peace when the whole world is crumbling around you. And you say, father, I'm trusting you. The doctor says I'm going to die, but I don't believe that report. I'm resting in you. I believe that by your stripes, I was healed and I'm not moving off of it. And I'm not going to did you know that sometimes your fasting and prayer and stuff can be a huge statement of unbelief? I've actually cast demons out of people before. And when a demon manifests itself, it's kind of comical. People, you'll start hearing Jesus, 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 Jesus. They'll just say it as fast as they can, like a machine gun. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And you know what that is? That's unbelief. You can say the name of Jesus out of fear and out of dread. I think it was Smith Wigglesworth one time. 
that he was going to bed. Smith Wigglesworth, for you that don't know, he was a great man of God and saw multiple people raised from the dead. And Smith Wigglesworth was going to bed one day and right before he blew out his candle, he saw motion at the end of his bed and he held his candle up and looked and there was the devil standing at the end of his bed. What would you do? Most of us would scream and yell and bind the devil and call somebody on the phone, agree with me, call the prayer chain and get everybody involved. And oh God, God help. You know what Smith did? He, he saw the devil and he said, oh, it's just you. And blew out the candle and went to bed. <laughs> You know what? That's a great position of rest. Another time the devil, he said, was moving something. Something was shaking and something moved across his room and he saw it and he said, move that back. He wasn't even going to, he wasn't even going to justify that by him going over and moving it. He told the devil to move it back and it moved back over Do you know what? You can rest in the Lord to where it doesn't matter what happens. God loves you. God's anticipated your problems. Don't worry about it. It'll work out. Somebody would think, man, that's hard to do. That's the reason you have to labor to rest. The reason I get into the word isn't because God grades me on how much time I spend in the word or how much time I pray. He loves me if I never open the Bible again, but I won't love him the same. I won't be able to rest. I won't have the truth and the knowledge. And so I get into the word for me, not for him. I don't use this as a leverage on God to love me and to answer my prayers. I do this for me. God loves me. If I never went to church again, God would love me exactly the same. You know, I've got pastors here tonight and I know some of them are cringing saying, oh no, don't tell them this. But if you never go to church, God loves you exactly the same. You don't have to go to church for God to love you or for you to be accepted by God. If you don't go to church, you're stupid (laughs) because you aren't going to hear the truth out in the world. You need the fellowship of the body. You need a support system that when something happens, you've got people that you can stand around and we need each other. None of us should stand individual. You ought to be going to church. But if you don't go to church, you're stupid. But I'm saying God loves you, stupid. He loves you. You're just stupid. How dumb can you get and still breathe? Amen. (laughs) Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there's a place that we could reach to where we understand that God, by grace, is anticipated, has meant every need before you even have it. If you leave here tonight and go home and tragedy happens and somebody brings you a bad report tomorrow, I hope that this message comes back and you say, Father, you knew this was coming. You've already given me the ability. The Holy Spirit is sent to comfort me. I know that there's a way out of this. You won't allow me to be tempted above what I'm able. You will provide a way to escape and you just sit there and rest and say, what do you want me to do? And he'll give you supernatural wisdom and deal with it. And you can come through without the smell of smoke on you. Amen. Amen. Praise God. That's awesome. So father, I thank you for these truths. I thank you father for the word of God. Thank you for these things that the word says. And I pray that the Holy Spirit has made this real to people. 
that you will apply it to their individual situation and show them how to rest and how to believe that by grace you have already provided everything and just let them rest and receive it. I believe that right now God is speaking peace to many, many people's hearts. I believe some of you that have taken care upon yourself right now, the Holy Spirit is saying, cast all of your care over on him because he cares for you. Just let go of that thing. The Lord says he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's going to be up all night anyway. Just go to sleep. Let God have your care. Cast it over on him. And Father, we believe that you are taking the care, the worry, the unbelief, the fear off of people and that right now people are just resting in you and knowing that you've seen everything that was coming. There's already a way to escape and we just trust that you are showing that to us and we rest in you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let me say that if you don't know Jesus, you need to be born again. Everything I've talked about tonight is through Jesus. If you haven't made Jesus your Lord, there, everything is on your shoulders. It's all up to you. You need to, first of all, make Jesus your personal Savior. You can't go very far. You can't go anywhere without making Jesus your personal Savior. If you've never done that tonight, you need to do that. And then once you get born again, once you receive Jesus as your personal Savior, Jesus told the people, he says, don't depart, don't go anywhere, don't do anything until you receive power from on high. And then he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll receive power. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit every born again believer. And I know that there's some people here who think, oh no, don't tell me that you are one of those tongue talkers. I am. I speak in tongues and I'm telling you that you need it. You need it. God loves you whether you speak in tongues and have the Holy Spirit or not, but you won't love God as much. Romans chapter five, verse five says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. I tell you, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, I fell in love with God in a way that I couldn't have done ever on my own. I depend upon the Holy Spirit. These testimonies I gave, I could go back to every testimony I gave you about this $3.2 million, anything I've mentioned. And I spent a lot of time praying in tongues so that I could rest. It says in Isaiah chapter, I think it may be 28. It says, this is the rest This is the refreshing wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And he was talking about speaking in tongues. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, then you don't really have the ability. The whole, the Christian life isn't difficult to live. It's impossible to live. You need the power of God to turn the other cheek, to rest when your whole world is screaming at you. And this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He wants to do it but you have to welcome him in. We've already had probably close to a hundred people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the last two sessions. But you know what? If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you need to receive that. Is there anybody here tonight who would say, I need one or both of those. Either I need to commit my life to Jesus and receive salvation and, or I need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. And I want to pray with you. Here's people over here. Praise God. Anybody else? Here's people over here. Still a lot of people. That's awesome. I tell you what, this will change your life. I know some of you are thinking, what are you about to do? 
I'm going to ask you to respond and come and let me pray for you, but I don't have a church for you to join. I'm not here to take anything from you. I want to give you a free book that will explain this whole thing. And we want to pray with you and help you. So if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward and stand right here and let us pray with you and help you to receive tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. Hey, God bless you. Just stand right here in the front. Thank you, Father. Oh, this is great. Great, great, great. I tell you what, this is going to change your life. You know, I got born again when I was eight years old and I got genuinely saved. I mean, God changed my life. But when I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when power began to manifest. That's when I came alive as a Christian. And I've heard so many people say the same thing. This is when your life, this, the Holy Spirit is the one that wrote the Bible. And when you get the Holy Spirit, it's like the Bible just comes alive. That was the number one thing that happened with me. The Bible came alive. I couldn't open the Bible without God just yelling at me. I tell you what, this is going to change your life. I believe it's going to be awesome. Before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, the Bible says Jesus is the one who fills people with the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive Jesus, the giver, before you receive the gift. Is there anybody here who has never received Jesus? You don't know for certain that you've been born again and that God lives in your heart. Is there anybody like that? If that's you, I need to pray with you first. And we need to make Jesus your Lord before you can receive the Holy Spirit. You can't get the Holy Spirit until you receive Jesus. Is there anybody who would say, I need to pray first and make sure that Jesus is my Lord? Anybody? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Let me pray with you. Are all of you born again? Are you sure of it? I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but you got to be sure. And there's so many people today that think, well, I don't know for sure. Can anybody be sure? Yes. When you get born again, you know that you have passed from death unto life. The Bible says you have a witness in yourself. Is there anybody who just wants to make sure you aren't confident and you want to pray? Make sure. All right, good. If you're born again, that's great. I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but you just got to be sure. So everybody up here is already the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says, that when the Lord comes in, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture, the significance of that is that you are created to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. This is what God made you for. When you got born again, you became a temple and God wants to fill your temple with the Holy Spirit. He wants this more than you want it. So you don't have to beg and you don't have to plead and wonder, will he do it? Some people will also teach you that unless you're holy, unless you've got every sin out of your life, God won't fill you. God won't fill a dirty vessel. God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to fill. Amen. All of us are in varying stages of having something wrong. And if you've got sin in your life or failure in your life, that's the reason that God wants to give you the Holy Spirit is so that you can start overcoming and walking in the power of God. And it'll help you to overcome your problems. So don't let any feeling of unworthiness make you feel like God won't give you the Holy Spirit. There's a scripture that says in Luke eleven thirteen, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? 
It didn't say to those who are perfect, to those who do everything right. It just says you ask for it. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit because he wants you to have power. So we aren't going to beg. We're just going to, it's like in a spiritual sense, we're just opening up the doors of our temple and saying, Holy Spirit, I welcome you to come in. He won't force himself in. You've got to pursue. You've got to ask. So we're, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're just going to very simply open up the doors of your heart and welcome the Holy Spirit to come in. And then we've got prayer ministers. I'd like to ask them to come up here and stand behind you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands that the Holy Spirit was released into people. So I'm going to lead you in this prayer. And then these prayer ministers are going to come up here and stand behind you and lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit into your life. And you are going to receive. Amen. And then after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking and just thank God that he did what he promised. He's promised you he'd do it. And so whether you feel anything or not, just thank him and take a step of faith and believe that by grace it's been done. Now I'm going to rest in it. His promise was that if I ask, it comes. So I want you, after they lay hands on you, to just start thanking God out loud that he gave you the Holy Spirit. And at that time, after they lay hands on you, I want you to put your hands in the air like this because it's like the Bible says that when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. He loves it. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. I yield. This is your way of surrendering. It's like your spiritual antennas. Amen. It's just, you don't have to do it, but I tell you, I just believe it's liberating to say, Father, I just give, I yield, I surrender. So I want you at that time to lift your hands, start thanking God. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to start speaking in tongues because the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks well. So we're going to start thanking God by speaking in tongues. And when we start speaking in tongues, quit praying in English and thanking him and start thanking him in tongues. Start speaking in tongues with us. And I know some of you are thinking, well, uh, what do I do? The number one mistake that people make is they just open their mouth and wait on God to make it talk. They think it's going to be like when you throw up, that it just comes out and you can't stop it. It just... That's not how it is. I could speak in tongues right now. I can speak in tongues anytime I want to. The Bible says in Acts 2, 4, that they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He inspires you. You have to speak and by faith believe it's the Holy Spirit that's inspiring it. I spoke tonight. I didn't just open up my mouth and say, oh God, speak through me and then wait on God to make my mouth move. I spoke, but I believe God inspired it. Speaking in tongues is the same way. You have to speak and by faith believe that God inspires it. And once you do that, and once you get over the weirdness of it and the strangeness of it, and you get to doing it by faith, it will build you up. God will confirm to you that this is God speaking through you. He will allow you to interpret your tongue. I've got a book that will explain all of this to you, but if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. So that's what we're going to do, okay? And I believe you're going to speak in tongues. You agree? Yes. <laughs> do you agree? I agree. Okay, I thought at first you were saying, uh, I don't know. The Bible says, believers, will speak with tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. I will speak in tongues. 
Father, I thank you for all of these. They're all born again. They are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You created them to fill with your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We open up the doors of our temple, of our heart. We want you. We want your power in our life. And right now, Holy Spirit, come and fill every one of us. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come into our lives. We want you. We receive it now in Jesus' name. We lay hands on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus. We just release this power of the Holy Spirit to flow into every one of you in the name of Jesus. Oh, there's the power of God flowing right here. I don't know whether you feel anything. It doesn't matter, but this is the power of God. He's honoring his word. Father, we thank you that your power is coming. Now let's get those hands in the air and just go to thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. Thank him out loud. Talk out loud. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that I am now God-possessed. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for filling me. Thank you that power has come into my life. Those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's start praying in tongues. And as we pray in tongues, quit thanking him in English and just switch over to speaking in tongues. If you don't know how to get started, if you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but your tongue will come out different. Your tongue will be unique to you. You won't be able to just copy somebody else, but it'll get you started. So if you don't know what to say, just try and say what you hear the other person saying. And when it comes out differently, don't quit. Just keep talking. And you know what you're doing? You're bypassing your brain. You aren't praying out of the part of you with understanding. You're bypassing your doubts and your fears. And you are speaking out of the born again part of you. Your born again spirit for the first time in your Christian life is having access to God without your unbelief, without your fear. He's speaking through you and communicating with your heavenly father. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. You got to open your mouth to speak in tongues. Talk. You can't pray in tongues in English at the same time. Just speaking. You know, I've heard languages before that were nothing but whistles. And it's a known language. It's written down and it's nothing but whistles. There's one language on the earth that's nothing but clicks of tongues. You just click your tongue and that's a language. Don't worry about what it sounds like. When a baby first starts praying, that baby doesn't sound like they're speaking English, but that parent knows what they're saying. Your heavenly father is listening to your heart. He's pleased. Your heavenly father is just thrilled. You're communicating with him without your brain. You're coming out of your born again spirit. Thank you, father. Thank you for this power. Thank you, father, for filling all of these. Man, this is awesome. Man, nearly every one of these people is speaking in tongues. It looks like, I can't hear everyone, but it looks like that, man, they're just speaking in tongues. That's the power of God. That's awesome. Let me have your attention here for a minute. You know, what happened here tonight is more important than any of you know. Some of you may not have felt anything and you may wonder, did I really get anything? You may not have spoken in tongues and you think, well, 
Maybe I'm one that just doesn't, God's not going to give me this gift of tongues. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is like a pair of tennis shoes. They all come with tongues. Amen. (laughs) God gave every one of you the gift of speaking in tongues. Every one of you. You just have to learn how to release it. When I first prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist and I'd been told it was of the devil and I had so much fear about it that I just couldn't do it. But you know, I kept after it. I got into the word. I renewed my mind. I've written a book about it that will explain this. And if you didn't pray in tongues, I've had thousands of people take this book and after they understand what the scripture says, then they go ahead and pray in tongues. So I want to give every one of you a copy of this. Also, nobody up here, I can promise you this, you do not understand how powerful what happened to you is. Even if you are excited and think something powerful happened, it's bigger than what you think. You need to understand what the scripture has to say. And I've got all of this written in a book and it would help you. We want you to get the maximum impact from this. This could be the most life-changing thing that you've had happen since you got born again. So it's really important that you go ahead and get the full understanding. It's more than what any of you understand right now. So I would like to give you a book and we've got Robert right here in the aisle. He's the one with his Bible up and he's waving his Bible. And we've got a prayer room right over there, just outside of that door. And if you would follow him, he'll give you a book. There's people there that will pray with you. If you need prayer, if you have questions, they'll help you. If you didn't speak in tongues, they'll help you speak in tongues. So if you would just take a few moments, they're going to give you a free book and we want to bless you with this book. Amen. Man, let's praise God for all of these. Isn't it great? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. You know, we had uh, Creflo and Taffy Dollar here tonight, and they... They specifically said they just wanted to sit and get the word and they didn't want to be announced. So I didn't announce them for that reason. But you know what? What a blessing. I've been so impressed with the way this man has responded to the Lord. And I'm really excited about what God's doing in his life. I mean, he is excited about the word of God and what a blessing to have those people be a part of the service. Amen. So now that they're gone, I'll say they were here. (laughs) But man, I'm just excited about that. What a blessing. These are our prayer ministers here. And you know, these are people that love God. These are people, many of them travel with us. Many of them come from other states. I see people here from North Carolina, up in Winston-Salem area. We got people from Dallas, North Carolina, people from Florida, We've got people that come from all over. Many of these are our Bible college students. They're full of the word of God. And you know, the things that I taught tonight, this may be new to some of you, but these people have heard this. These people understand it. None of us have arrived, but we've left. And these are people that are walking in this to a degree. They are ready to pray with you. And I just want to ask that if you need prayer for anything here tonight, I want to ask you to come and let one of our prayer ministers lay hands on you and just agree. And we're going to see miracles. Just like you heard Carly talk about these great miracles that have been happening. People coming out of wheelchairs, 
and things happening. This is for you. These are the people who prayed. I didn't pray with those people that Carly was talking about. It was these down here. If you need a miracle, just get up out of your seat right now and come forward and let one of our prayer ministers lay hands on you and agree with you. And we're going to see miracles happen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to release the rest of you in just a minute, but let me say that we've got CDs of the three services are already duplicated. DVDs are already duplicated. And then tomorrow our services start at 10 a.m. and tomorrow night it's 6 p.m. It's not 7, it's 6. I do this so that my staff can get everything taken down and put up and get to bed an hour earlier. Sometimes they don't get to bed till 2 or 3 in the morning. So we start at 6 p.m. tomorrow night. The rest of you, if you need to go, you're free to go, but I'm going to stay here. We're going to pray. We're going to see miracles happen. You can stay and enjoy this. Often I call out healings and people get healed and you're welcome to stay here and receive from God. But thank you for coming. God bless you and uh, come back tomorrow if you can. The best is yet to come. Amen. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we just thank you, Father. Thank you for the word of God that says we lay hands on the sick and they recover. Father, these people are sick. We got hands. We're laying them on them and we believe that they recover. Father, for this little boy, we believe that whatever's wrong, that your healing power is flowing into him right now that he's waking up, his mind is restored, his body is restored in the name of Jesus. We loose that power for every single person. Thank you, Father, that blind eyes are open, deaf ears are open, hearts are changed, bodies are healed, knees are healed, backs are healed. Father, we release your power. We believe that the Holy Spirit has already anticipated every need that every person has and that by your stripes we were healed. It's already been done. It's already done. And Father, we right now receive it. We aren't asking you to do it. We believe you've already done it. We reach out and receive our healing. We receive it in Jesus' name. I believe that the Lord is speaking to many of you right now and just follow through with what I'm saying right here. You don't need to ask God to heal you. He's done it. Now receive it. Just start speaking to yourself. Speak to the Lord. Father, I receive what you've already done. I receive it. Start seeing yourself well. Start saying, Father, I am well. You've already done it and now I receive it. I am seeing this healing power of God manifest. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. There's a number of people here that haven't been able to have children. Now, before you receive this prayer, you got to be married. I'm not praying for anybody to have kids. It's not married. I'm not participating in that. But if you are married and if you need to have children, if you've been praying, God is saying that it's already done. He's already 
seen how many children you're going to have. It's already established. Instead of begging God to do it, I want you to just receive it right now. If you're one of those that needs to receive a healing so that you can have children and you're married, I want you to stand right where you are and put your hand in the air so I can see who this is. And we're going to help you to receive your healing. Right over here, there's a couple of ladies over here. Anybody else? It could be a man that is unable. You don't have, uh, something's not working and you're the one that can't have children. If that's you, I want you to stand. Here's another lady back here. Anybody else? Anyone else? Father, for these right now, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you've already provided this. You've already spoken that there wouldn't be a single person among us, not one that was barren or any that cast their young. And so we receive that. And right now, in the name of Jesus, we command whatever is wrong in these bodies. If there's some part of their body that's been damaged, if they've had some problem, Father, I just thank you for the miraculous power of God that you've already supplied this. And we release that with our words and say, bodies, you be healed. You receive this healing power of God right now in the name of Jesus. Right here is a miracle taking place. God's healing you right now. I want you to just begin to thank God. Right here is your healing power. The anointing of God is flowing through your body and you're being healed right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we believe it's done. Thank you that whatever the hindrance is in them or in their mate is done. It's healed. And now when they act on what you've told them to do, that they are able to conceive and bring that child to term. We thank you and believe it's a done deal in the name of Jesus. Amen. You agree? Amen. Praise the Lord. Like I said during the message, it's not going to be a virgin birth. You do your part. God's already done his. Amen. I believe you're going to see it come to pass. Thank you, Father. We agree and we receive this. Thank you, Father. Oh, there's a lot of things happening to people associated with your heart. There's people that have had heart problems, heart surgeries, irregular heartbeats, deformed hearts, high blood pressure, things like this. There's a number of things like that that God's ministering healing to right now. The healing power of God is flowing towards you. If that's you, if you've had something associated with your heart, I want you to stand and raise your hand and we're going to believe God that right now he's already anticipated this. He's already produced it. Now you're reaching out and it's coming to pass in your physical body. So if that's you, stand up and raise your hand so I can see which who's getting this prayer. Father, I just agree with all of these people right now in Jesus' name. And I thank you that you're healing these hearts. Somebody has a small heart. I don't know what this is. I don't know what to call it. But your heart is not big enough. For some reason, your heart didn't grow and it's just struggling to keep up. Here's a word of knowledge. This is God ministering healing unto you. Right here is your healing. This heart is being restructured, healed. I command damage from heart attacks to be gone. Somebody's got damage from surgery. 
Maybe they intended to do something good, but it didn't work right. And here's the Lord repairing the damage that surgery did to you. Here's your heart being healed. High blood pressure is being healed now. We command that blood pressure to become normal in the name of Jesus. Healing you flow now. And blood pressure, you be healed. People are being healed of plaque in their arteries. It makes you susceptible to a heart attack. Weakness. Getting tired real easy. Not having enough oxygen. I speak healing over these things now. And Father, thank you for healing these hearts. We believe you've already done it. And we speak it and believe it's ours. It's ours now. Hearts, you recover. Veins, you be healed. Blood pressure, you be normal. Normal in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I believe God's healing your hearts right now. Just start thanking God. Whether you feel anything different, believe that God healed you right now. Thank God. Father, I believe that's done. I believe that our hearts are healthy, that we are healed in the mighty name of Jesus. Man, I believe, I believe that many of you, many of you have seen physical evidence already. Power of God's flowing in your body right now. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you for your power flowing in our bodies. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, the Lord's healing people of joint pain. Let me just say, I believe that includes arthritis and inflammation and stuff, but specifically there's something that causes pain in your joints that's not arthritis. I don't know what that would be. But there's somebody here that has something that's not arthritis and yet you got pain in your joints. So we'll just take anything right now that has joint pain, whether it's arthritis, bursitis, or if it's something else. If you've got pain in your joints, I want you to stand and raise your hand and we're going to pray. And I believe that God is going to minister healing to you. If you've got pain right now, When I pray, when I lead you in this prayer, this pain's leaving you. And I want you, after we pray, to start moving what you didn't feel like moving. Start bending it. Put some pressure on it. And expect that to leave. It's leaving you now. I take authority over all of these things, whether it's physical or spiritual. Satan, we break your power. We command you to loose these people's joints right now. We command inflammation to go down, swelling to go down. Somebody's been retaining water on your joints. Here's that that stuff's going to leave you, not at this exact moment, (laughs) but it will come out of your body. God's going to help you eliminate it. We just speak that these bodies are healed in the name of Jesus. We command all of that pain, all of that discomfort, lack of movement to be gone now in the name of Jesus. Arthritis, you loose them and let them go. And now any calcium deposits, swelling, inflammation, whatever it is, we command that to be gone off of them now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I believe that that is demonic stuff broken over you now in the name of Jesus. And I believe that healing is flowing through your joints. Begin to move around now. Move your joints. Bend. Do something. Say, pain in Jesus' name, go from me. 
And here's the healing power of God. I believe that that pain is gone. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive this healing power now. We thank you for doing it. Thank you that it's a done deal in the name of Jesus. Amen. Who in here has already felt your pain go? You're already pain-free. Wave your hand at me so that I can see. Man, that's awesome. Man, that's awesome. That is dozens of people. And you know what? If you still have your pain, God didn't just heal a few people. He's already seated. It's over. He's done it. You're just in the process of receiving it. When Jesus spoke to the fig tree, it took about 24 hours for what he said to become manifest. Some people would just get it instantly, but you know what? I believe every one of you is healed. And so you expect to see a difference. You start resisting, start doing things that you couldn't do. Walk, move, do things, bend over, do deep knee bends, do something you didn't feel like doing. And I believe you're going to see this healing power of God manifest. God's already done his part. And we just agree and we receive that healing in the name of Jesus. Somebody here, this may be the same thing, but it might be something different. But somebody has damaged your shoulders like a uh, rotator cuff or something like that. Somebody here has had damage in your shoulders. Here's the healing power of God flowing towards you right now. I want you to begin to put your arm up. Move it in a way that you couldn't move it before. And here's the healing power of God flowing. And we command these joints to be healed. For these rotator cuffs to be healed. For this pain and damage. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive this healing power right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Man, this is awesome. I believe God just healed dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Who in here had shoulder problem? You couldn't move your shoulder and yet now you can move it. You got freedom of movement. Here's Kay. Good to see you, Kay. Anybody else? Here's other people. Praise God, we got people all over the place. Isn't that great? Father, we thank you. Thank you that you've already done it. And we labor to rest in you. We are not going to take this back. We are not going to believe that it's not done. We rest in you. We believe it's a done deal. And we refuse to come out of faith. We believe that it's been done by your stripes. We are healed. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Oh, lots of people being healed. Let's just worship the Lord right now and thank God for these people whose lives have been touched. Thank God right now. Father, we just thank you that you love us and that you choose to dwell with us. Thank you, Father, that you are here with us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for providing everything for all of these healings already being done. And we just agree and receive this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, that's awesome. Praise God. I believe God's touched a lot of people here tonight. That's great. It looks like everybody's getting prayer. I believe that everybody's been ministered to, so I'm going to let you go. Man, I pray that you get the CDs and the DVDs from these three services because this is stuff that would change your life. 
And even if you've heard it, other people need to hear it. Get them and share it with somebody. Share it with your friends. Share it with your enemies. Amen. It'll bless you. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock in the morning.